Hello and welcome to the Claire O'Sullivan podcast. This podcast aims to inspire every person to live a happier, healthier and more fulfilling life and to bring you the right information on how to do so. Thank you to everybody for listening to the podcast. If you are enjoying it, please hit subscribe and drop us a review. Now let's dive into the next episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Claire O'Sullivan podcast. Today I am so excited to be joined by an amazing guest, the phenomenal Jean Lynch. Um, So thank you so much for being here today, Jean, and for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time I've been trying to get this in, so I'm delighted to finally be here. Oh, well, we're delighted to have you. And I'm really excited for the conversation today. I've been looking forward to it since we set the time in. Um, so without further ado, I am going mm-hmm. to let you introduce yourself and tell us mm-hmm. who is Jean Lynch um, and what is like, what is Jean Lynch all about? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh my God, we could do a whole episode of the podcast and that itself could turn into a therapy session for me. Um, <laughs> so I am a psychotherapist. I'm from Cork and um, I do in-house psychotherapy for you and mindset coaching. Um, I originally started out kind of in social care originally. I worked there for many years and I kind of discovered that um, I really liked kind of the psychology and the therapeutic pieces a little bit more. So I decided to kind of study that and went back, studied that and went to work in the amazing Bernardo's Children's Charity and doing bereavement therapy there for their families. And it was I loved that work so much. Um, And then kind of my partner, Dave, is within the fitness industry and he was kind of asking me questions around things kind of like, one of my clients is doing this and I don't understand. I was like, oh yeah, well that makes complete sense because of X, Y, and Z. And he was like, oh my God, that like this, this, this should be paired together and started helping him with a few things here and there. And he found it immensely helpful for his coaching. So then, um, then he went on to kind of be an authority network and stuff like that. And then got introduced to a small few coaches who Dave was like, oh, Jean could probably help you with that issue. And then a few coaches came towards him. They were like, will you become or in-house psychotherapist and mindset coach. I was like, alongside that, set up my own private clinic. And then we've been going since there. And it is been amazing, an amazing, terrifying, fun journey. It's been very emotional at times, but I could not be happier that I took the leap to do it. And that's where we are today. Wow. Okay, so that's kind of amazing because I guess I've never heard... Um, so I met you through Authority Network, which is the business mentorship yeah. that I'm in and that Dave um, is a part of. Yeah. And yeah. I guess I never knew the background around, mm-hmm. I guess, when I um, first like got to know you, you're working as a psychotherapist, doing your private coaching and working yeah. with other coaches then. But I didn't know the background behind how you got yeah. there. I didn't actually realize social care was your um was where you started originally. So that's really yeah, interesting yeah. to know. So it's all like in the last few years, things have changed a lot for you then. Mm, kind of the last um since lockdown, essentially, I came back from um maternity leave um the first day of lockdown. <laughs> and that was like the weirdest thing ever because I had the whole systems. I was in Bernardo's at the time and the whole systems had changed and I was just starting to do my own private therapy and I was like, oh, I have to do this on Zoom. What the hell is Zoom? And I remember thinking that like, what is Zoom? Shouldn't we be using Skype and all <laughs> that goes to show you how much things have changed. And um, yeah, and then everything just kind of 
I think working from home and finding new ways of being and like being a mom in the midst of all that. And yeah, like it it feels like it's only what is that, two years, two and a bit years, three years? Oh my God, I don't know. It's gone by in a blur, but it has been incredible at the same time. It feels so long and so short. It's like a time war. Wow. <laughs> so when you came back from Matley, did you go back to a job and then and then yeah. after that set up your own business? So I was doing my own private therapy hours in my, my own time and then yeah. um, went back to Bernardo's as well. So I was juggling the two for a long time. And I think that's, the, the, a lot of people ask me that question as to, I want to go self-employed. Like, how do you just take the leap? And I think that's what a lot of people say, just take the leap. And I'm like, that, like, especially if you've got kids, that's terrifying to just like take a leap and not have that reliable background. So what I did was I reduced my errors in Bernardo's and increased my, my personal errors. And it was chaos for about, I don't know, it felt like years, but it was chaos, like running the two of them alongside. And I was working evenings, mornings, every hour that I could and then parenting everything in between and then eventually what I had to do was make the decision right right, okay now my own stuff is stable it's established now it's time to take the final leap so instead of just like cutting everything and jumping instead I kind of segued out of it and slowly incrementally paced myself into it which helped my confidence build I think that's a lot of people don't see kind of I think that goes from mindset work too I think a lot of people think that like when you're looking at trying to break a habit that you should just be able to break it and then move forward. Like I want to stop emotionally eating and then that's it now. That's the last time. And then when they epically fail, because we all do when we're trying to break habit, we have those epic fails. They take that as the failure. That means they can't do it. But that's actually a natural piece of moving out of a habit or moving out of a way of being. We're meant to retest. Yeah. So, but we, we're not taught that. It's, it's actually meant to be kind of almost like sanding a piece of wood. Like you sand it once and it's still rough. And that all you can feel all those things there. You can still see them all there. You need to keep going over the process over and over again until then it's smooth. So it's about kind of repeating a process over and over again. I've gone off on a tangent now already. No, that, <laughs> that makes so much sense. But I guess just the way you did it, you really set mm. yourself up to win so that you wouldn't yeah. fail because you transitioned it quite gradually that when you did make that full leap yeah. in, you kind of knew like this is yeah. going to be steady and this is going to work, which is really cool. And I think like sometimes we'll take that risk, but maybe set ourselves up to fail, like because mm-hmm. we don't actually have the structures in place. So I think that's yeah. really interesting because a mm-hmm. lot of people as well would like a- ask me like, well, how did you like, like make this a full-time thing where you're coaching full-time? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was probably, when I started that, I was doing it part-time alongside being a physio yeah. because I think if I went from like, like no clients to then trying to make that my full-time thing it would have been really hard and really scary and Mm -hmm. maybe it would have made me retract but just Mm -hmm. setting yourself up in that way I think is really wise for anyone who does like have that little thing that is they're doing a bit and like wonder can it be their full-time because like now you're full-time self-employed as a psychotherapist and mindset coach yeah yeah and I I think what you said there around kind of like needing to step into it gradually like that that's safety we all need a sense of safety for growth like even if you look at childhood development like like a lot of our our psychology echoes what children do and you know if you look at kids who have maybe um delays and stuff like that a lot of it can actually be that they didn't grow up in a safe stable environment and that continues on for life we need to have some sense of stability and safety to grow 
And yeah, we can do it without. Sometimes we do take the leap and we can rise to the challenge. But generally it causes a lot more pressure, as you said. Whereas if we always have a sense of safety in the background and we are still progressing ourselves and not using it as a crutch, then we can have really kind of like a long-term growth because you've also got the confidence now and the self-belief that you've built over that time. Yeah, totally, totally. Mm. I think especially when you are a mom and you're not just mm-hmm. like taking a risk for yourself, like yeah. you've got other people that you're responsible for. I think that's an extra reason to have that bit of safety mm-hmm. or like might be yeah. an extra reason people wouldn't like make that jump. Yeah, definitely. And I think the kids factor is a huge one because, and I think when we often see kind of like, you know, people going self-employed and stuff like that, it's always kind of like young people who don't have kids. So there's not a whole lot of role models that we have around parents who leave like a full-time job to become self-employed. And I I couldn't think of any, I didn't know of any. So I was like, oh my God, I have to like figure this out myself, but it was fine. But it it was very, very stressful. And there is points where you're kind of going, what have I done? But then there's other points you go, I'm delighted. This is what I've done. Like I took the kids to the beach the other day. Like, and I was just like, this is, this is stunning. Like it's a Tuesday and I'm at the (laughs) beach, you know, like I love this, you know, so you get your bits of freedom in places where you didn't have it before as well, which is beautiful. That's seriously inspiring, seriously inspiring to come back from mat leave and then I guess be working the two at the same time while looking after two kids to transition Mm -hmm. that to full time running your own really successful Mm -hmm. business is amazing um can I ask you can I take it back a bit and ask you like Mm -hmm. why did you like want to become a psychotherapist like why was there that draw Mm -hmm. what interested you there well like to go into the depth of the honesty in it I have childhood trauma behind me and I hid it for very like we're talking decades and then it came to a point where I really really needed help and I was forced to get help And I went to a psychotherapist and her name was Valerie. And she was like, I I call her the lighthouse. She was like my lighthouse in the middle of a storm where I was like, oh my God, I don't know anything that's going on. And this is all terrifying. And I still couldn't tell anyone what had happened. So I just kept it quiet and just sat with her essentially for about two years talking absolute bullshit at the speed of light so she couldn't ask me a question because <laughs> I was like she's on to me she's on to me keep running and um, then after two years eventually I got comfortable enough and I told her and I was like you were probably you know confused as to what was happening over the past few years and she's like oh incredibly confused she was like but I knew something was going on and I just needed to give you time to get settled and feel safe and I was like oh, so you, you knew. And she was like, I knew there was something, but she said, you weren't ready to say, so I wasn't going to probe. And I was like, oh my, like that in itself, I found like somebody was willing just to sit with me and help me feel safe. And I was like, holy shit, that blew my mind. Um, and then I, it was such a nice feeling, but it's still at that point, I was like, I'm going to become a psychotherapist. It, was, it wasn't, I was still healing and doing all my work. So then went through court cases, went through everything to try to get some kind of justice. And then um, came out the other side. And when I know before that, I was like, okay, like what has happened to me is actually, I, I own it and I can do something really powerful with it. So when I was at that point, I was working with kids in care who majority had been deeply traumatized in their own childhood. And I found that I had this kind of like ability to sit with them and kind of see past an awful lot of behaviors as well. So like a lot of kids would, as soon as you started to build a relationship, would become terrified by it. 
and like there would be incidents where they would you know hit you or attack you and stuff like that a lot of people would feel very like unjust by that like I've done so much work on them you know it's so unfair and they just fucked it all up now and I'm like no they're they're fucking terrified they're terrified because relationships aren't safe and I was like oh okay I, I kind of feel like I have a natural ability to get what they're going through so then from that I was the one who always did what you would call a life space interview after incidents I was the one who went into the room to kind of talk them back down and talk about what had happened see if they were okay what was the learning from it stuff like that make a plan for next time loved that piece of the work I loved that piece and I hated everything <laughs> I hated having to do like homework with them having to talk to them about like cons- <laughs> I hated all that bit I hated the parenting bit essentially <laughs> the irony um, and then so then from then I remember still going to my psychotherapist and speaking to her about like am I being really silly here that I would like to go study psychotherapy with everything that I've been through and she was like that's exactly what you should and she was like, you naturally now know what it's like to be in the therapy chair. You know what it's like to work through trauma. And she's like, you know how to pace because you've been through it. And I was like, okay, so I'm I, like, this is a good idea. And she was like, it's a fantastic idea. So then she encouraged me and helped me find the right course. And she was just incredible. And then um, went on to study that and just absolutely loved it and kind of leaned more heavily into kind of like trauma work and anxiety. And then from going to Bernardo's, kind of had my background of kids in care. So I worked on an awful lot of kids in care who'd been through bereavement and helped them with their stuff, but also through trauma, traumatic events and helping them. And then I just really found like, okay, yeah, this, this is really where I feel like a sense of meaning. And I, um, you know, there's that whole thing around kind of um, Victor Frankl's, if you can find a sense of meaning in your pain, then that's the biggest piece to get you through psychologically. And I found, yeah, I've really found my meaning and I'm going to get emotional now. <laughs> but I was like that. Now I feel like almost like full circle, you yeah. know, kind of like I took something back from me. And actually now instead of like I heard this thing the other day and I'm going off another tangent. It was like a reel on TikTok or Instagram or wherever it was. And it was a, another psychologist, I think, talking about like how if you look at heroes and villains, they actually have they're pretty much the exact same character. Like the heroes usually are orphans or have had something really bad happen to them in their childhood. And usually we're introduced to the villain who has some kind of scarring or um, speech impediment or some deformity to show that they also have experienced some kind of trauma or adversity. But the difference is, is that the villain says, I have been hurt by the world and I'm not going to allow it to happen anymore. And the villain says, the world has hurt me, so now I'm going to hurt the world. And I was like, that is so powerful. I love that. And I think that's that's the difference it's what you're going to do with the hurt and what you're going to do carrying forward to kind of almost soothe yourself that's what the difference is and I feel like that's what I have done wow that's incredible I didn't I didn't know any of your journey to becoming a psychotherapist that's amazing to hear that and it sounds like you've totally rewritten that narrative and like what was obviously like something Mm -hmm. so hard to go through has become a strength for you now in your Mm -hmm. ability to be able to like hold space for other people that's yeah. amazing this your initial experience at psychotherapy that Valerie was willing to hold space for you for two years that's yeah. next level like yeah um, that's next level holding space I can imagine yeah. that you know that just gives you a totally different like experience to be able to bring to your therapy room mm-hmm. and I guess like just a different level of empathy for people as well yeah because I, I know how hard it is to speak 
sometimes or even just be in a space like a lot of people when they come into therapy with me especially when they're just starting would say like I was like, how was yesterday? And they're like, I was so nervous. I couldn't sleep. Or some people get upset tummies before therapy, before coming into it. And if I went in gung-ho, I was like, right, let's talk about the most traumatic event that's ever happened in your life. Their body isn't even ready to do the work. Their body is saying, don't you fucking dare. Don't you dare go to therapy. So if I'm almost reaffirming what its body is saying around like, this is really scary. And now, yeah, she's done the scary thing. She's done it. She's not safe. We're not doing that again. Like, like subconsciously, what's going to start happening is you're going to start pulling back from therapy because it's too much. So getting the person settled into the space and feeling safe and just building up a trust and a sense of being held in. Let's just calm your body today. Let's talk about married at first sight. <laughs> let's, let's just chill you out a little bit or talk about your job or something else minor that maybe is on your mind, but you still feel like you can settle into. Like maybe you've had an argument with a partner and we can discuss those things to get you settled as opposed to straight. Because I think that's a lot of people are scared of when it comes to therapy that like, I'm going to do like what Tony Robbins does and go for like the jugular. And that that's not what I'm going to do. I like, I'm very much respectful of this needs to be a long-term benefit for you. Not just a short-term gain where you feel enlightened now or, or kind of you get a big rush because that's sometimes what can happen to you. You get a big rush of kind of like, oh my God, you know, and I've talked about this and I've talked about that, but usually then you've unlocked something and you can be flooded in the aftermath. So I'm very much about pacing. Anybody who's first come into sessions with me will know I always talk about, I am going to pace you through things. I will stop you at times when you, maybe you feel you could talk more. I am going to stop you just so we can pace and make sure your body's calm in, in the situation that it's in. Okay. okay. That's amazing. So mm. just to make sure that people are feeling safe and feel like mm. they can share when, when time is right for them. Yeah. Cause it brings back into that safety thing we were talking about. Do you need a sense of safety in a lot of places? And I think even, even going through a fitness change, a lot of people feel kind of like unstable and unsafe because they don't know what's coming next or I've had it where people achieve goals and they're terrified because they're like, what happens now? What happens next? I don't know where to go from here. And that's sometimes where we can self-sabotage and take ourselves all the way back to the start line. Because yeah. it's unsafe. We don't know. We don't know what to expect next. Yeah. I definitely want to like delve into that a little bit more with mm. you. Before we go into that side of things, would you mind yeah. just like clarifying like mm -hmm. the difference between like what you do as a psychotherapist and mindset coach in your work versus mm -hmm. someone who is like, I know there's so many different terms and I was chatting to you about this already, like yeah. a psychiatrist versus a counselor versus a yeah. mindset coach. Like, is there mm -hmm. like clear distinguishing things that separate all those people? So they're all kind of in the same realm, but different kind of competencies and capacities. So if we start with like mindset coaching would be kind of the, the lowest kind of um, step of the ladder, I suppose. Um, and that's where you're kind of just sitting with somebody to help them to see where their, where their blocks are and where their boundaries are and what's stopping them from progressing forward. That's not so much around doing the deep work. That's just about identifying. And then when you can identify well, what are my blocks, now we go to the next step of finding who can help you with that. Okay. That's what kind of mindset work is. Or mindset work can also be kind of like um, looking at... Um, maybe thinking patterns. Do you have common thinking patterns around kind of like negative thinking and stuff like that? That's kind of mindset work. Then the next step up is like counseling. So 
because a lot of counselors are also psychotherapists. So count, you usually start with your degree in counseling and then move on to psychotherapy. So you'll hear a lot of psychotherapists saying counseling and psychotherapy. So we technically do both. So, but a counselor can't be a psychotherapist, if you get me. So it doesn't go, you have to have counseling and then psychotherapy. So counseling is kind of like more, um, more regular life occur- occurrences. So things like emotional breakups, if you're kind of struggling day to day with say um, motivation and stuff like that, or if you've had maybe a bereavement, this bereavement counseling. So it's kind of that level. And then uh, psychotherapy then would be more around things like anxiety, trauma. So any kind of psychiatric disorders like schizophrenia, OCD, that that's that then you kind of go much deeper and the way I explain it to clients which is a bit more easier I think in my mind because you know I love analogies and um, <laughs> counseling is like you've bought a house and you walk into the house and you go oh I don't like the color of the walls they they make me feel uncomfortable I want to change that so we paint the color of the walls and maybe you kind of go oh you know I think we need to get a new fridge let's get a new fridge or I'd like to maybe get some new covers on that sofa right that's what counseling kind of is you're looking kind of surface level what happened for you somebody explained it to me that they went from counseling to psychotherapy and they explained that counseling was what happened for you this week what's happened for you in the past week and psychotherapy was what happened to you as a child that's the way they explained it to me and I was like yeah that that does kind of sum it up so that's what counseling kind of is and then psychotherapy is you've bought a house and you come and you go right we're making everything open plan knock all the walls in a very kind of non non-confronting way a very gentle way of course one brick at a time but you're looking to make things a bit more open plan so you can see everything and and be able to see clearly and clarity as to why you feel certain ways why you do certain things and maybe give yourself it's a lot of psychoeducation in psychotherapy so it's teaching you about like theories or even kind of like different schools of therapy different things they teach you about how your mind works and how you work and what you need going forward that would be psychotherapy and then psychiatry is more about like say you come to psychotherapy and you discover yeah I have um generalized anxiety disorder right so then you will go to psychiatry and psychiatry is going to um give you the medication and also a little element of talk therapy so they're more kind of the medica- medication based um competency then so psychotherapy and everyone below have nothing to do with medication we don't we ask what medication you're on and any medication changes you have. So we can just keep an eye on your mind and your body in that. But we're not qualified at all to give advice on medication or anything like that. So that's only psychiatry. Okay. That is an absolutely beautiful summary. And I think those <laughs> levels make it so, so clear. Um, so I'm after yeah. learning something there. I didn't know the difference between counseling and psychotherapy. Um, yeah. So I think that's actually such a nice summary. If someone is thinking like, what like if I'm looking for help with something what kind of help do I need I think that's perfect yeah Um, yeah. and I know you always talk like and you're always answering questions for people on your Instagram and things as well and asking questions around those kind of things because I think there is a lot of like confusion out there and totally yeah and and I was saying to you before the call that like I, I whenever I'm working within like your community and stuff that I call myself a mindset coach as well because some people don't understand what psychotherapy is. And it can be kind of like, if I don't understand what it is, I'm not going near it. Like I told you that somebody came onto a call for me and started asking about their knee. And I was like, I know nothing about knees. And they were like, (laughs) oh, isn't that what you do? Because they thought I was a physiotherapist. So like, because they all those kind of like titles are quite similar. So um, 
to put in the mindset coaching, I feel like gives you a, an idea as to what I do. And then the psychotherapy is just more in depth around psychoeducation then. Totally. I totally get where you're coming from with that, because I think um, when you're in that field and you're mm. hearing those terms all the time, they're just completely normal to you. Um, mm. And similar when I like was working as a physio in a hospital, like people didn't really know like what a physio does versus what an occupational therapist does yes. versus what you ask the doctor for, just because they're yeah. not like using those terms all the time. And I think we can take yes. it for granted sometimes that like, we understand all that stuff. So I think yeah. it's really good to clarify that. Um, and as you were saying there, so you help us inside mm-hmm. our community and mm-hmm. you work in a lot of other communities and mm-hmm. you're also helping your own private clients as well. So yeah. if we're just to talk about what kind of things you see, like when people come to you um, mm-hmm. or when you're working in the communities and people are struggling on a journey of change, more mm-hmm. so from the mindset point of view like what mm-hmm. are the most common kind of struggles you see when people want to change like their health habits their fitness mm-hmm. they want to lose weight even like down to wanting to like improve their lives or progress in their careers mm-hmm. what are the most common things you see stop people probably the the biggest commonality between them all is um low self-belief and lack of confidence but then what comes with that is a sense of shame And I think that's actually the thing that keeps an awful lot of people stuck is the shame piece. Because if you've maybe you're struggling and you're telling yourself, oh, I've I've signed up to this program. I shouldn't be struggling. I have all the information in front of me or I've done it again. I have binge ate or I've not gone to the gym or I've slept in. I've done it again. If you have a emotion of shame around that, shame essentially wants you to shut up and hide. Don't let anybody see you in this. And that's usually the most common issue is when people go quiet and struggle by themselves and they think that they shouldn't struggle and they shouldn't find this hard and they have all the information there. They think that they're the problem um, and then they keep quiet about it. That's probably actually the biggest issue. Um, and like, and I wish I people knew, I wish everybody knew that we are meant to struggle and it's actually a part of growth that you are meant to struggle. Like if anybody went through the program with us and they were like, oh, I've done, you know, the whole program streamlined. It was so easy, you know, oh, not an issue to me. I would be really disappointed. (laughs) I would be like, oh no, we failed them because you're meant to struggle. If you're doing growth effectively, you're meant to find it hard and there's meant to be setbacks and it's meant to be really challenging because when you grow in kind of like your health or your fitness or your identity, it is taking an identity, identity shift to do it. And to do that, your psychology hates it. It's going, don't you dare. Don't you dare. This is what we know. Even though you don't like it, it's what you know. We're really comfortable here. So don't you dare shift. And it will start like throwing little grenades in here and there of like, you know, oh, you've had an argument with your partner. You should really just get pizza. Or, you know, oh, you didn't do all your workouts this week. You should really just like ghost Claire. Just don't do your check-in. And it would start doing things like that due to shame. But really, those are the moments where your identity is on the cusp of change and it's just about to change. But we think, oh, I failed. And you haven't. You haven't. It's such a good thing to see because it means, right, your identity is getting uncomfortable because the change is coming. So in those moments, instead of pulling back and listening to what like your mind is telling you of you failed, you know, you can't do this. Instead of those moments to reach out and share and say, oh yeah, I am struggling with this or I'm finding that I can't stop 
binge eating or I'm avoiding my check-ins because then that's the point you need support the most. And for it kind of like you, me and Tommy to kind of like flood in with our expertise and give a hand with that stuff. Um, and I think that's kind of the most common thing because then what you have off from all of that is the behaviors that we see. So like self-sabotaging, emotional eating, um, avoidance, procrastination, they all come from that place. So that's probably the most common thing that we would see over and over again. That's underneath the surface, but all the behaviors are different. That's really, really interesting. And like that shame piece, is that Mm -hmm. because is that because like we have the expectation that we shouldn't struggle and that it should just be plain sailing? And Mm -hmm. like we say with that, the people like who um, I guess who reach out and who don't have the behaviors of like just like maybe burying their head in the sand or like wanting to run away from that is that because they don't feel as much shame and like what why do some people feel shame and some people not part of it is the expectation as to what you should be like and I hate the word should because it's a thinking distortion um as to what you should be like because should is never a reality and I think it's this view as well of like high achievers this is what the high achievers can do so if I want to be like them I should be like that but the reality is Like if anyone looks around me around, like, let's say my self-care, I still emotionally eat time from time. If anybody thinks that like I have a history of emotional eating and I don't emotionally eat from time to time, I do, but it's not my core coping mechanism anymore. That's the difference. Probably somebody looks at you and says, Claire smashes every single run. No, Claire doesn't smash every single run. Claire probably hates running sometimes. And you see, that's that's the difference. We look at the people who we maybe want to emulate and we think that's what they're like and they never fail and they never struggle. And they always want to go to the gym. We don't. We don't want to do those things. And we do sometimes have what you would class as a failure. We have them, but it's actually how we view them. And I, I was on a call with somebody the night and we were talking about um, like the fear of failure. And when things go wrong, that we don't class them as, oh, this is me. This is me failing. This is evidence that I'm about to fail. And somebody said they were like, it's very different to when you get a flat tire and you think, oh, I can't get to the gym now. And this is me failing. They're like, I can be flexible in that thinking, thinking that's out of my control. There's not much I can do. Versus when you hit the snooze alarm three times and you're the cause of it. That's the harder one to take when you know you have been the cause of it. And like, but hands up, like all high achievers still are to their own detriment at times we do things that we you know shouldn't do don't want to do you know but we don't view them as like oh here's me failing I knew I couldn't maintain this I know I'm not capable of the next step all it is in that moment is resilience kicks in you like when you are success oriented and you're going for success and you're in the journey to achieve it you have really strong resilience So that's that's the two different like there's two factors, essentially, and people who are what you call fear avoidant uh, or failure avoidant, where you are like constantly thinking, I have to avoid failing. Don't do that again. Oh, my God, don't do like what you did the last time. And oh, my God, you have to keep going because otherwise it'll be just a repeat of the last time. That's what we call failure avoidant. And then you have success orientated people who are the people who like highly motivated, you know, optimistic, proactive. And they're the ones who usually achieve the success that they're going for. Now, everyone thinks that there's a huge difference between those two people and there's not. They're both motivated. They both know what they want. The difference is resilience. So the difference is when things go wrong or you do things wrong, that they're not viewed as failure for the success orientated people. They're viewed as setbacks. But 
in that moment, they don't just go, oh, that's a setback. Let me move on. They don't. They go, oh, crap. I hit snooze three times there. Where is my gold in this? What can I learn? And what can I take forward for tomorrow or next week so that I'm stronger? And I hit snooze two times instead. So I need to go to bed earlier. I need to, you know, rejig my routine. So like I don't get up as early. So it works better for me. So like, that's the difference. They're less kind of emotionally loaded around the failure piece and more see it as gold yeah. and take it forward with them instead. That makes so much sense to me. And I think that's something that we see all the time inside our community. And it's like, mm-hmm. I think like when you're saying there isn't much of a difference between the people who fail and the people maybe who succeed, like towards mm-hmm. like achieving any specific goal, it's very small. And like, it can be just the difference of like, both people snoozed the alarm that morning. One person mm-hmm. said, I'm a bloody disaster. I'm such a failure. Mm-hmm. I snoozed. The other person's like, oh, well, I just need to like snooze less tomorrow. And yeah. like, I just need to like make the most of the day now. I'm not like, yeah. they don't label it as I'm a disaster. Maybe they're not feeling so much shame around it. They just mm-hmm. know that it happened and I need to improve mm-hmm. it. Whereas one yeah. person has maybe more of a story around like mm-hmm. what that means about them and what that Mm. means like like yeah worthy they are and I think maybe another thing you said there as well like it touched like what what was it that you said um so like when you're saying people look at you or people look at me and think that we're smashing it all the time and it's like that's like the mental filtering you talked about before they see one thing and that's what they think life looks like all the time and I cannot tell you how many times like I do things that I perceive like I shouldn't Mm -hmm. do or I don't want to do like all of the time only that we don't like maybe like I guess the way social media is I won't be going on my stories all the time telling everybody that I snoozed all the time whereas like you might be more likely to see if I'm out running and it's very Mm. easy to filter that stuff then and think oh well she achieved this so she must be doing that all the time and I'm a disaster because I'm not Exactly. So we're seeing a kind of a filtered image as to also what we kind of want to see. So sometimes we want the kind of person on the pedestal that we think, well, if I can be that perfect version of what that person's meant to me, then I'll be good. Because I think the tagline that a lot of people have underneath is that I'm not good enough. So then when they have those setbacks or those what they deem as a failure, it's almost reaffirming to them, I'm not able for this. I'm not good at it. Versus the person who's achieving just says, oh, okay, well, I can learn from this and move forward. It doesn't actually affect my belief that I can do this or my ability to do it. It actually helps it because now I've learned new information, but they're not seeing any of that. They just see the perfection piece and think when I'm perfect, then I'll, I'll be good. So what do you wish people knew or people believed before they embarked <laughs> on a journey of change around anything? Oh, a good question. Um, I wish people knew that, first of all, it's not a competition because I think a lot of people compare themselves. They see other people like posting wins and stuff like that and think, oh, I, I can't even run a 5K and this person's running a half marathon. They start at the same time as me. Everybody is different. And like, I think it's very, it's a very natural thing within us to compare. It's a survival mechanism. but it's, it's, it's not warranted anymore, right? It doesn't, we don't need it to survive anymore, but it's still within us. So to bring yourself back to yourself, I, the tagline I always use is always compare yourself to yourself within the past year. 
And that's kind of the only metric you should be comparing to because it is the most valid one because that other person has completely different genetics, probably has a different support system. Like if I compared myself to some of the ladies in your community who are absolutely smashing it, I would feel atrocious because they are up smashing runs, like amazing, like nutritious meals that they're cooking and like cooking from scratch, sharing recipes. They are doing amazing. Their confidence is growing and they're just amazing. Right. And then I'd be thinking, oh, okay, well, I can't run anymore due to my injury. I can only get three workouts in a week. Right. I, I, some nights it's not a nutritious meal because I don't have time or energy to do it. And um, I don't, pre- I get my meals prepped for me. Right. And then I would feel guilt that oh, I'm not prepping my own meals and stuff like that. Um, and I could have all this comparison. But what I am filtering out of that situation is I'm self-employed. I have two kids. I have an injury, which means I can't run. Right. So like and I'm filtering out all that information. So it's, I can never compare myself to those ladies. It's not. And say if they compare themselves back to me, I bet you anything they would filter it and take only pieces that they fail in the comparison. Essentially, they would probably go, oh, Jean's resilient mind, right, is nowhere near mine. I have been working on my mind for the past long time right so like <laughs> it's it's not a fair comparison and then as well like we 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 need to look at support systems around us too everybody has a different sources but we never compare that that's never looked at as to like who's got your back also what responsibilities do you have we never look at those pieces of information because usually we don't see them um so comparison probably the biggest thing and to people to know but then also nobody is comparing you I think a lot of people and I've said it on calls before that like I think everybody at some point has the thing of oh I'm annoying my coach my coach is going to hate my check-in this week so let me filter it down and not say all the information because they're going to give out to me or all these different things and none of that is true here none of it we like like I know you I know Tommy right full of empathy full of understanding and zero judgment it is more curiosity if you ever start asking more questions, it's purely because you want to understand so you can help more. But I think a lot of people have had past experiences with other fitness coaches who maybe told them just stop doing that or judged them or punished even, or you binged, right, go out and now do an extra 20,000 steps tomorrow. So they're carrying all that past experience into the future and allowing to dictate their behaviors now, which is actually hindering them from growth. So for anybody who's scared that there's going to be any element of like judgment from your coach, speak openly about it. I feel like you're going to hate me for this check-in. Um, I just need to say it out loud because Claire probably just laugh at you. <laughs> no. I, I have people say that to me all the time, even yeah. calls and things. And I'm like, where are you getting that from? Where, like, where does that judgment come from? Because it's never coming from us. And like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know, is it because like we'll judge ourselves so we perceive someone else mm-hmm. will judge us the way we judge ourselves and that's why we want to mm-hmm. you know sometimes we say those things are like I know you're going to hate me now it's kind of like protecting myself before like I tell you what yeah. I did but really like yeah, yeah. I'm asking a person why do you think that when have I ever said that like yes. where does that belief come from that I'm going to say that um yeah. just to kind of like I guess break that cycle of them thinking that I'm going to judge them as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, and the comparison thing is something we see all the time as well. And like, it's so true that like, 
I guess even you and I, if we were to compare different parts of our lives, there's going to be parts that like, I'm going to think I'm so inferior to you in this area. And you're going to think about another area, but like, who cares? We're not in a competition. (laughs) Our lives are totally different. We've no idea about all those other factors that are going on. So when we compare like one thing to another, I just always think that like, like it doesn't matter we're not in a like we're not in a race like we're not doing the same thing Um, and there's just so many factors behind it that even inside our community like if someone's ever feeling a little bit inferior I'm like but you have no idea like no idea what's going on for that person that you're comparing to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and usually it is that inner critic that is driving the narrative because they've probably lived with that inner critic for so long telling them and whispering things and usually what your inner critic does is it likes to predict criticism so to keep you safe so I'm just going to tell you you know what everyone else is saying about you okay because then it's not going to hurt as much if you find it and you're off guard so Claire hates you she hates doing your check-ins um <laughs> she thinks you're useless just so you know okay she's just not saying it because she's trying to be nice right <laughs> so and it would tell you so that you're sitting there kind of going oh my god and then it starts changing your behavior And we start thinking that everybody around us criticizes us or hates us. And sometimes people say to me, but some people do. Yeah, some people do criticize you. Some people do give, you know, not constructive feedback, just pure criticism. Um, And that has nothing to do with you. I would always. And that's actually one of the other pieces of advice I would give is that sometimes when you start to heal, so it goes for therapy, if you start to heal, but also in success, if you start to succeed, you will trigger the unsuccessful. If you start to heal, you will trigger the unhealed. And that has nothing to do with you because what happens is as you start to grow, you become a mirror and the other person is now looking at your growth and your behaviors and it's making them think of their own. And that makes people very uncomfortable. So that instead of having to deal with the inner critic that is happening in that time, they need a break from it and they don't like it. So kill the source. So they will project the critic outwards and said, so then they get a break of the critic and it's more inclined to bring down the trigger for them too. So, so interesting. And I think that was something you spoke about on one of your calls inside our community. And mm-hmm. I know that it's something clients have been using and it's like, mm-hmm. I think it helps, it helps us to maybe like hold a little bit more space if it is in a relationship with someone in our family or someone close Mm -hmm. to us someone says something hurtful and you can have that bit of understanding well are they saying that because that's actually giving them a little bit of a break from whatever is going on in their life and maybe you can have Mm -hmm. a little bit of understanding and like maybe not be as like reactive as we might have been in the past to some of those things yeah I I think that's that's the key piece that there is empathy that like, I'm not saying kind of like, oh, because they're triggered, fuck them, right? It's more of kind of like, oh, okay, are you okay? Like, and just, if you don't, don't even say that out loud because that'll probably just trigger them more. But just <laughs> to sit with the point of kind of like, okay, clearly something is going on for them right now. Um, I'm going to mentally hand this back because I don't think it's actually anything to do with me, but I hope they're okay in whatever's going on for them. Yeah, totally. I think there's some gold in there around okay, if we're on a journey of change, the things Mm -hmm. that could hold us back around shame and around how we interpret certain things that we do. Mm -hmm. Then Mm -hmm. also like how we interact with others. And if others are like, maybe like are like criticizing certain things that we can maybe Mm -hmm. have a little bit of empathy rather than Mm -hmm. being reactive and getting into a fight with someone. Um, 
And another thing that like we see commonly or I see like initially when I'm talking to people, what they struggle with a lot is like that thought around motivation. Like there is this thing Mm. that I really want to change in my life, but I've no motivation to do it or I'm great for a few Mm -hmm. weeks and I make all of these changes, but something happens and like people term it motivation. I don't know. Like, do you think it's motivation? What do you think around that whole thought process? So I find that whole concept so interesting because I think the thing we always see is don't rely on your motivation. Don't rely on your motivation. That is true. Right. But it's kind of, I think it's it's two pronged, right? So yeah, don't rely on your motivation is accept that there's going to be points you don't want to do something. So there's some, what we would call an activating behavior, right? So I was speaking to you about this before where like you have a behavior that you know will bring health, joy, freedom, whatever it is, right? And it's there, but there's a pain point that comes before it. So let's say you know that by going to the gym, you're improving your health and you feel good after it. But then why beforehand are you like, oh God, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't even know where my leggings are. I can only find one shoe. I don't even want to go. I'm just going to scroll for five minutes. An hour goes by. That's all the pain. So if you can see, okay, what are my activating behaviors and where's the pain? you're already kind of doing a lot of the work to kind of take away the need for motivation, first of all. So if you think of the gym, right, that's my activating behavior. I'm aware of it. And I know that it's going to bring me health. I know it's going to bring me um, strength. I know it's going to bring me uh, joy when I leave, right, because I'll feel good afterwards and probably a sense of pride. Now, I know that that's there and I know I have to move through a pain to get there where I'm not motivated. I accept that that's there and I try to minimize the pain. So things like having all your gym stuff in a place where you know it is, having your shoes together, having socks ready, having maybe a nice drink to drink when you're there and stuff like that. That will all reduce the pain threshold or even scheduling it so you don't have to think actively of when you're going. These are all pain points that you can reduce. But then the other thing is around people saying, don't rely on motivation. Motivation comes and goes as if we can't control it. You actually can control your motivation to a certain degree. As long as you, because everybody's motivation is different. So if you know where your motivation is made, that is such a key that nobody knows about. And it's such a nice little boost to have. So everybody creates motivation in different ways. Okay. So for me, having motivation is good sleep. I always feel motivated after good sleep. I also, in my work, if I go to a um, a training on a certain topic, you best believe everybody's going to get that topic. <laughs> that we get therapy right so like I get I get giddy over like new new information and new schools of therapy I get excited by it and that motivates me then I'm like you know wait for therapy on Monday you know and like there's all different things that motivate me or even planning things in the future will give me a boost for now so if I know I'm going on holidays in August I know I'm more inclined to work now but and I don't want anybody else thinking like fantastic that's what I have to start doing doesn't everybody needs to figure out where their own motivation is made and, and make it kind of a, a one that is, first of all, try to have no money in it because a lot of people get caught up in buying gym clothes as their motivation. And that can be one, as long as it's not like the always one, otherwise you're going to have a full wardrobe and a broke bank account. But like try and find little places where your motivation lives. Even if it's um like, you know, I encourage all the clients before they start to write a letter to themselves at the start for the days where they struggle. So when you're on a high and you're really like motivated and really proud of yourself that you write a letter for the days where you don't feel like that. Like that could be a motivation point. 
So in that moment, you take out your letter and you read it. Another thing is the um, dearfutureme.org website where you can write an email and send it to anybody at a future standpoint. Um, so like you can say six months from now, send this message to this person. Um, I send them to myself. So I go on and I write uh, an email to myself saying, right, six months time, we've set these goals. Have you achieved them? Here's how you feel right now. You're on a high. You're doing amazing. What's life like now? You can do this. I believe in you. And I write all these things to myself and I write the, the gratitude in as well, just in case in six months time, I've forgotten those gratitude pieces. And then six months time, that's a free website, by the way, you get a little boost of motivation. So learning where your motivation is made and created and harnessing that for yourself is something not many people know. And then we kind of like, you know, push away. We almost kind of like reject motivation. But if you have control of it, then that's amazing. I think that's an amazing point that we're actually mm. in control and that we make it because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are disempowering themselves by saying mm -hmm. I have no motivation as if it's a thing that like should just come to them from somewhere yeah. in the ether yeah. that they're waiting for. Yeah. Whereas like if we can take back the control, if we can mm -hmm. make the motivation, then there's mm -hmm. nothing that we actually can't do. And like mm -hmm. the simple things like, sleep like I think everyone in the universe is more motivated if they have a good night's sleep behind them if you're drinking water like if you're mm. eating good food like I think those things make you feel more motivated to take actions mm -hmm. and maybe some people yeah. will say they're not motivated to eat the good food I think maybe there is an element sometimes of okay I need to like like you're saying like with the gym I need to have these behaviors behind it that make me want to eat mm -hmm. the good food maybe I need yes. to have the shop done so that I'm eating the good food yeah so setting yeah. ourselves up to be motivated I think is a great point and I think mm -hmm. like if if anyone is trying to change anything don't let yourself say you're not motivated go out and make the motivation like don't mm -hmm. give that power to someone else Exactly. And I think a killer of motivation sometimes is overthinking where we, we, we know we want to do something and we start thinking about it too much. And we're like, Oh God, I have to go Oh no, no, today it's leg day. And Oh Jesus. And I don't have any, you know, pre-workout. Oh God. In those moments, sometimes when you know you're lacking motivation, just do, just literally do an, a Nike on it and just do it. Just stop thinking about it and just get moving. Like I went for a sea swim last night with my friends and like, it was so interesting to see just some people like, okay, I'm going to go now with the next wave. I'm going to go with the next wave. And the next wave comes like, oh, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, versus if you just don't think, don't give your brain a chance to catch up with what you're about to do and just dive in. And then you find that actually, oh, okay, it's not, it's not, well, actually, yeah, it was fucking as hard as I thought it would be. But when you're in it, you're sitting there like, okay, it's okay. Once I settle into it, I'm okay now. Same thing. If you, if like, I love people watching clearly. One of the best people watching experiences I've ever had from a psychology perspective is watching people bungee jump. It is fascinating to see when people pause and think about what they're going to do. Obviously, your mind and body are going to go, what the fuck are you doing? Don't launch yourself <laughs> off this. And they're going to start fighting. <laughs> Versus the people when, when the people said go, just jumped and they didn't hesitate. They jumped far quicker and they actually seemed to enjoy it more. As people who like took them like five minutes of like, oh, I can't do it. Oh, I can't do it. They seem to when they jumped, then were like, like rigid and terrified in the entire of the, the experience. So sometimes just don't give your mind a chance to think and just start doing the behavior. That 
that makes so much sense to me and mm. um I think something that aligns with that as well aligns with like I've no motivation to do that or like some people will say I've no confidence to do that mm. and I think sometimes the same thing goes with confidence we have to just just do it to get yeah. the confidence like you might mm-hmm. have the confidence to go into the sea the first time but when you just <laughs> do it you get that yeah. little bit more confident at it or mm-hmm. same goes for like going into the gym the first time if we think about that so much we'll think about mm-hmm. all those reasons why we shouldn't and how scary it's gonna be but sometimes exactly. it is just do it and yeah. we'll build the confidence and sometimes just do it and maybe mm-hmm. like we'll build sometimes I think the motivation comes when we do push ourselves a little bit like maybe we're not mm-hmm. motivated to go to the gym first of all but we're in there and then that yeah. comes over time where we want it a little bit more exactly and and confidence doesn't come from like just waiting until you're confident that's that's not how confidence works and it is a repetition game like I explained to somebody the day like the first time you're learning how to speak a language like you mispronounce things you get things wrong like but and that's the exact same that goes for your confidence you're going to get things wrong but that's how you're going to learn but as well to see that you are trying like I I said I was doing a call the other day about um perfectionism and I was speaking about like perfectionism will tell you it's saving you and that that's where your confidence is going to come from. But it's actually a trap and it actually depletes your confidence in the, in the long term versus when you can get perfect at trying, repeatedly trying. That's where your confidence is going to come from, because eventually your confidence is going, is going to say, OK, well, we don't give up. And every time we try, we're learning something more. And over time, it's compounding. And as long as we agree that for the rest of our lives, we are trying and we keep going then our confidence will come. 100%. And I like, we do see that a lot with clients as well is that when they're mm-hmm. aiming for things to be perfect, it leads to inaction. When they can like, when they can um be proud of themselves and congratulate themselves mm-hmm. for just trying, then mm-hmm. like you're going to get there over time. If you keep trying, you will not mm-hmm. fail. Confidence is going to also build over time. And I think sometimes when people are aiming for perfection, they don't achieve it. And then, or they don't do the actions, they lose trust in themselves. Whereas mm-hmm. the person who's always trying will continue to trust themselves to try and will yes. set a new goal and will try at that again. Whereas yeah. if you're aiming for perfection and then like you don't achieve it, those people sometimes are afraid to set another goal because they didn't achieve that first one and didn't get what was on the pedestal. Exactly. Or the other side of it is, is they do achieve the goal. And I've sat with so many people who are, you know, trying to work on perfectionism. And when they, when I say, give me the evidence where you have achieved goals and they're like, oh yeah, but I've realized that when I set that goal, it was probably too easy or it was a fluke that I got there or, you know, this person helped me and they start to downgrade success. So it doesn't even matter as a perfectionist. If you do hit the success, you tell yourself of, you could have tried harder. You could have gotten better. Um, the success actually belongs to this person because they helped you. You should have been able to do it better. Right. So there's like, and the way that I kind of sometimes, because perfectionism is a brilliant salesman. It sells you this story that is so intoxicating of like, you know, this person that you really admire is a perfectionist and all, all or nothing thinker and look at what they've achieved and you so admire them. What you don't see the other side of the story, you don't see somebody's mental health. You don't see somebody's confidence. You don't see somebody's relationships around them. We lose all that aspect of it. And the best way I can think about it is I want you to imagine that you're going to an event and there is a talk. There's two talks happening on your topic of what you want to achieve. So let's say it's a marathon and 
room number one, the talkers saying how to run a marathon in three months um, due to perfectionism. And that when you look at the breakdown of the train of the talk, it's like they're a perfectionist. They hit it in three months. They had no relationships. It was very strict nutrition. They were miserable. Their mental health struggled. They didn't enjoy the process. They're not proud of the marathon. And now they no longer run. Right. And they've moved on to the next thing. Room number two is somebody saying how to run a marathon in a year. And then the breakdown is you fail at 5Ks. You struggle to breathe at a 1K. Right. You go back to running, like <laughs> shuffling along again. You struggle. You give up for a few weeks. You come back to it. Um, you, you, you know, you tell everyone, I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner. Right. And this is all part of the training. And then, you know, you still get to go on holidays. You get to have good relationships. You go to barbecues. You still have a job, right? You have all these different things. And a year from now, you're so proud that you've run that marathon and now you still run. Which talk do you want to go to? Yeah, absolutely. And who's more resilient in the longer term? Exactly. And who's enjoying the process and the success more? Because sometimes we tell ourselves that that's not the journey we want, but somehow that's the talk you will go to. Totally. And um, I think exact same story for weight loss. And mm-hmm. I'd like as a coach, I'd much prefer to see the person going through the struggle and learning how to come out the other side of the struggle and exactly. like knowing how to do it in that realistic way with the holidays and with yeah. whatever other obstacles are, on the, are along the way, because I think that person has a much better chance of maintaining that longer term. Exactly, because I think that's the whole point of it. This isn't a crash course. It's not, as we spoke about in the past, a special K diet. This is for life. It's something that we want to maintain forever for you. We want, you know, everybody has that one community member who's like a man or a woman out in their 80s and they're still out like shuffling along in a jog and they've got like their sweatbands on and stuff like that. And you're like, wow, they're not out there running because they want to like work off their stew that they had the night before. They've been doing it for the majority of their life and it's just a part of them and they love it that's what we want for people we want them to be that community member completely completely and I think that takes perfectionism out of it then because like okay if you are running to be mm-hmm. running for life then you don't need things to be perfect in the next exactly. few weeks or in the next month and you yeah. don't like if you miss a session big deal you're going to be running till you're 80 anyway yeah exactly Totally. Um, I appreciate we've taken off a lot of your time this morning, Jean. So um, I'm going to just ask you two more questions, if that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, of course. So just the second last question I want to ask you is, like, from your experience, what mm-hmm. are the most common traits like you see in someone who is successful and does achieve mm-hmm. their goals? Because I think we've talked about some of the things that hold people back and some of the obstacles along the way. So what kind mm-hmm. of traits in the people who do succeed in whatever they're chasing I think the two things that are coming to mind for me because I won't flood with too much um is resilience first of all that you have coping mechanisms for when life is good but also life is challenging so I think a lot of people think coping mechanisms are only for when life is challenging but the way I liken it is that they're I want you to imagine you've windscreen wipers on the car and they're broken if the sun is shining you you don't you're like, I don't need them. It's fine. We don't need to change them now, right? There's there's no rain forecast. That's your coping skills if you're not using them when the sun is shining. When the storm comes and now you're out trying to build coping mechanisms and the rain is lashing, it makes it so much more difficult. It doesn't feel natural and they're probably not going to add 
anything to your life, they're probably just going to cause more stress. So if you are waiting to build your coping mechanisms when life is challenging, it's you're, it's too late, right? Yeah, you can go to therapy and stuff like that, and that will probably help in those times. But doing things like learning how to journal when you're already stressed or learning how to meditate when you're already stressed is going to be 10 times harder. So it's always about kind of like having the foundations of resilience in at all times. And then they just up the ante when you need them. You bring them in stronger when you need them. Um, so that would probably be number one, that people have resilience um, and things that help them in good times and in bad times. The other factor I would actually say is support. And I think that's the thing that throws people off an awful lot is because the people around them aren't supportive or aren't supporting them in the way that they need. So if you have friends, family, a partner around you that you need support from to tell them, but sometimes people kind of lose the, the meaningful pieces of to how to get support. So they will tell somebody, oh, I'm trying to lose weight. Can you, can you support me in this? And somebody's like, yeah, yeah. And they say, oh, you're perfect the way you are. You don't need to lose weight. And no, listen, ah, come on, get the pizza. You're fine. Right. And they will think that their, their job in that moment is to reassure you that you are a perfect weight and that you are good. But if you tell them why you're trying to lose weight, okay, I'm trying to lose weight because I feel uncomfortable at the weight that I currently am. I feel unfit. Um, I want to really mind my health for the long term because now I have kids or I want to have kids or I want to be healthier for longer. And you're telling them the real why behind why you're doing things. People are more inclined to support you. But then a bigger piece of the puzzle is to tell people how to support you. So everybody supports in their own ways. So my partner, Dave, is a problem solver. So if you if I start crying, he's going to rush in with solutions. That's not how I like to receive support, especially when I am overwhelmed. And if he starts shouting, well, he doesn't shout, but if he starts like saying like, you need to do this, you need to that, I'm going to be even more overwhelmed and it's not helpful. So we have a very much a thing of, we both know how each other like to be supported. So he knows in those moments, calm, a hug, some little bit of reassurance, you know, tell me I'm good. Maybe take some responsibilities away from me probably give me some quiet time, take the kids away. Right. And we know that these are the ways that support us versus he's very different. He needs solutions. He needs um, somebody to flood in around him and give him loads of time to talk things out, whereas I need quiet time. So it's different. So knowing how you like to be supported and then tell the people around you, because if they're trying to support you, they're really trying to support you. So help them to do that. You know what I'm upset? Can you do this for me? That actually really helps because I know that's what you're trying to do. So doing it this way will really, really help me. As opposed to sometimes people say, can you stop doing that? Stop giving me advice. But when we tell people to stop doing something, we don't replace it with start. They're just left with a gap and they probably will just stop supporting you or revert back to what they know. So tell people actually how to support you. So yeah, resilience and a good support network is probably two of the biggest factors I would see in reaching your success. They are... That, that's amazing, actionable advice. And mm -hmm. the support side of things, I think that's so interesting. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes we don't know like what support we need that mm -hmm. if you're not clear on it, to find that out for yourself and maybe yeah. just to do a little bit of thinking or a little bit of journaling around mm -hmm. what you need. And like, I think sometimes we'll get mad at someone, but we don't give them that prescription of what we want. Yeah. And yeah. maybe it's just kind of soothing for us a little bit to be mad and to be like, oh, sure, I couldn't achieve that because I had no support. But actually, yes. I didn't go about getting the support or telling people yeah. what I needed. Yeah, because I think sometimes we, we're scared that we're going to hurt someone's feelings of telling, please don't support me like that. Versus actually, if you do it with a sense of 
compassion and, and gratitude. I see that you're trying to support me. This would actually, you know how you do, you know how you listen. You're such a great listener. Can you do more of that for me? Love when you do that. Like my mom knows like from childhood that um, homemade chips and a runny egg is like go-to coping mechanism <laughs> for me. And so, but now she asks me, instead of just flooding in with it, she's like, you know, do, do you want some homemade chips? And I'm like, yes, I do. Do you know? Or no, I just need a hug and she'll come and give me a hug instead. So it's about having the communication around what you do need. If you don't know where to start, because you said that around some people don't know what they need, think of everything that you hate. When somebody does X, Y, and Z, don't do this, don't do that. And start with that list first, because then you will start to discover sometimes they're a flip. So don't, don't give me loads of advice. Instead, listen. So we can flip them sometimes. Or stop talking, I need quiet. Or instead of like giving me space, come towards me and just sit next to me. So sometimes when you look at what you hate, sometimes it's a flip and you desire the opposite. Okay, that makes so much sense. And I think both people get to win then. Like, even though you yeah. might feel like, I don't want to like say no to this person because they're trying to give me support. But like, you feel better if they're giving you the support they need, that you need. Mm-hmm. And they also get to, like, they're giving you what you want, which is their goal in the first place. Yeah. They get to feel better. And like, I guess the relationship works a little bit better if that's the case. Exactly. It's a win-win for everybody. And anybody knows that if you're trying to be a supporter and you get it right, you get a nice feeling too. You're like, oh, yeah, I've helped them. And it feels really nice. So instead of kind of filtering out the information that like, I'm going to hurt their feelings, you're giving them that as well. That nice feeling. A common one I see people say is that um, like, you know, I was feeling a bit down and my partner like brought me all these chocolates and they're actually trying to lose weight. (laughs) And it's like, but I couldn't tell them that like I didn't want them. And there's just a disconnect somewhere like the partner's trying to help. You can't tell them that that's not what you want. But I think if that better communication was there around what you need, then Mm -hmm. things will go better for both parties. Yeah. And it goes for everything that if you're trying to change any communication issue, if you're trying to change any support or action or behavior, don't do it when it's happening. That is not the time to have the conversation it's too raw and it's way too vulnerable when it's actually happening right in front of you. So do it when that isn't an issue presently. That goes up for kids. If anybody's trying to get their kids to stop or start doing something, don't do it when it's a present issue. Do it when it's everything is calm and it's not even in the front of their minds. Then bring it up because it's less emotionally loaded too. That makes so much sense. Um, mm. And the final question, so I can yes. leave you go to enjoy the rest of your Saturday, um, is this is a question we ask everyone who comes on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So for you, Jean, mm-hmm. what is the yeah. one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self um, if you could go back the years? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think there's a multitude, I could write a book on that itself. Um, I think a few things that like you are good so I think I questioned that an awful lot growing up like was it was I good enough or was I lovable was probably another thing so to tell myself you are lovable and you are good I, it's not even advice it's more something I would say and then I think it, another thing would be kind of like whatever you are craving in other people is actually never going to be solved by getting it from other people it's an inward thing so I I sought out comfort I sought out reassurance. I sought out confidence. So like to feel good, other people had to choose me and reassure me. 
So I was outsourcing all the things that I lacked and putting them in other people's hands, which is especially growing up a very toxic thing to do because nobody is uh, emotionally mature enough to do those things effectively long term. Um, but I was desperately craving them. So I think the advice that I would give myself is that whatever you are craving in somebody else, you need to do for yourself. So if you're craving love, if you're craving reassurance, confidence, give that to yourself and then you will actually feel better rather than everybody else meeting that need and epically failing in, in the end. So yeah, that would probably be my advice. That is so powerful. That is so, so powerful and really empowering as well because you're not mm. seeking anything from anyone else and mm-hmm. you have the power to to give yourself those things, just, I guess, finding out how to do that for yourself and the ways to do that for yourself. And yeah. so that's incredible advice. And you've given such amazing insights and advice like over the last hour I want to thank you so much for your time for giving up a part of your Saturday um, and so much for your insights and for being so open and for being so honest and thank you so much for everything you do inside our community we appreciate you so much for everything that you do <laughs> and you're an incredible person and um, you've helped like me so much over the last year and a half and everyone inside our community and I know mm-hmm. that you give out so much valuable information if anyone out there is mm-hmm. looking like to find you and like to see all the helpful information you put out on your Instagram and your TikTok and things like that. What's yeah. the best place to, to find you? Oh God. I think off the top of my head, I have an app <laughs> that blocks me out of my Instagram, so I can't even get into it now. It's gene.your.best.self. That's it. I do believe. If not, go into Claire's followers list and type in Gene and you'll find it that way. <laughs> I'm going to tag you in the in the when I put up the podcast and everything. I'll put I'll put that under the in under the show notes so that people can find you and um can access all your amazing information and all your amazing reels that you've been putting out. So thank you so much for being an incredible person and for giving up your time today. Oh, thank you. And it was great fun. I enjoyed it. So thank you for having me on. I feel very privileged. Thanks, Gene. Thank you so much for listening to the Claire O'Sullivan podcast. I hope you are enjoying it. If you are, please make sure you hit subscribe and drop us a review and we will catch you in the next episode.